a little place, a little place called Aspen. This is the gondola cast with Andrew Wicks. We're here with Skippy Mesro, town councilman, and uh, my trusty cohort on our weekly radio show, Roots Rock Techno, uh, Captain Jack Boyd. The doors are closing. Keep your feet and hands clear. <laughs> Inside the vehicle at all times. <laughs> well, boys, we made it through the holidays. We are here. Hell yes. Are you, are you the youngest? town council member in Aspen's history? Oh, no, man, not at all. Um, back in the, the, you know, the 100 days and the, the 60s and all that, kind of everyone was young. I mean, like, Kinsley and all those guys that just changed this town, they were my age or younger at the time, but I, I'm the youngest in a long time. Oh, okay, yeah. that makes sense. I, I always thought that perhaps you were the youngest. How old are you? I just turned 33. Ooh, Trey Trey. Yeah. Congratulations. Happy for when was the birthday? Uh, November 30th. November 30th? Yeah. I guess that was not like a just, it's like a month ago. Not recent enough. Happy I'll birthday. It. Thanks, man. 86 crew here, I think, then, huh? Oh. 87 for me. Oh, oh you're this. You're Look at this, like, this chase. young boy. <laughs> <laughs> Catching some heat yesterday. Totally. Well, not just yesterday, all week. All week? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, kind of feeling the frustration that a lot of us feel when, when town swells. Um, perhaps regretting maybe some things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, for those listening who aren't acquainted, which it seems like is not very many, <laughs> um, yeah, I had, a, I had a, a moment of sort of deep frustration in town. I was uh, driving between work emergencies, um, uh, which just persisted all week and um, was sort of stuck at this intersection for, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, two and a half minutes. Um, I had, in the last 24 hours, like had 17 emergency vehicles pass me in town, sirens blaring. Um, I had had like friends that I had talked to who work in the service industry who were like crying at their jobs. Mm -hmm. um, like, I talked to one chef in town who hadn't slept in 50 hours, and I was like, well, what are you going to do when you're off? And he was like, drugs, lots yeah. of... Like, that's not okay, yeah, right? Like, it's, it's not... That's not, not how you recuperate. It's not healthy. And, and I'm not talking about his decision. Like, for town to feel that way yeah. is not okay. And everyone kind of um, feels that, whether you're in property management, restaurants, retail. Yeah. Um, you're a ski instructor. Totally. You know, you feel that pressure. And I think... You know, it was a very human reaction, and I think all of us often have that knee-jerk reaction, right? And you're just taking the full brunt of actually being uh, in the public eye now, right? Fair. And so I think, I think um, after time for reflection, and I mean hundreds of people reaching out, which is really cool, actually, um, feedback, both critical and not. So you're getting um, positive comments, supportive comments, as well as hearing negative things. Uh, of course. Um, um, sure, because people do feel it, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, it, as a human, I get to feel that way. Exactly. And, I, and I should feel that way. Mm -hmm. um, and as an elected official who got involved primarily and, like, 
first to bring people together to bridge divides to like work constructively on stuff um, what's not okay is for me to react reflexively and say things in a way that got people riled up on opposite sides. Like I had to look in the mirror for the next couple days and realize like I had just done the thing that I am most sad and upset about. And like that was, is really tough, right? Um, and now I'm off the other side and um, I, uh, um, this is a conversation that needs to get raised, right? Like who do we want to be? Like, How busy can we? How busy can we and be? And it's not even, it's not even just that, right? Like, at 4th of July, we're just as busy, and town feels great. Like, there's something about Christmas where... It's a tough crowd. It do, it's a tough crowd, right? It doesn't, it doesn't feel good. It, it, it's, um, and I don't know what, if anything, we can do in terms of policy to sort of help curate that environment, but I think we need to talk about it because from, like, a mental health perspective, from a quality of life... And from a community character business perspective, like if all year felt like Christmas, guess how many people would come here? Yeah, not very would, many. It would be tough. It's just it's jam packed. Are you are you susceptible to reading every letter to the editor and every Facebook comment? Are you able to say I'm not going to take a look at these certain things? Uh, I do a hybrid, so I respond personally and at length to every person that reaches out to me directly, mm -hmm. whether that's text, phone call, in-person, direct message on Instagram, social media, Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, and if the whether the message is like really hateful or really kind, I always um, full on and I always offer my actual physical time. Mm -hmm. um, so I do that. Um, what I what I don't do is, is get into the social media vortex of posts. Like it's a Good. it's a reactive toxic place yeah. that um, I I don't I don't want to be in mm -hmm. uh, for for my own well being and um, I don't want to fuel for my interaction. Yeah, I think uh, that's, uh, and that's so yeah, that, that's um, that's a that's a we've created up. we've created a monster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't need to feed into the monster. But you know, I think to kind of wrap up that that portion of it, you are a human. Yeah. You just happen to be in the public eye now. I think you've you've owned up to responsibility. I think we're all clear when you meant the wrong type of people being here. We're talking about the type of people that don't look both ways when crossing the street. <laughs> I, I mean, do you know, I look to eight percent. The, the the person that was renting the unit above me, like um, I have a friend visiting town, and and we both like separately were in the unit and like had the experience of hearing this person like berate their child. Mm -hmm. like, I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of work like processing my childhood trauma to like be a better person, and I was sitting there thinking like, what's gonna happen to this kid, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, um, I'm not saying that that means everyone who comes at Christmas is like that, but there's a lot of that type of, of toxic behavior, a lot Anger. of tension, and like. Who moved here for that? We all yeah. left cities. Like to part of it too is that. the. I think when people are coming in during that time, it's the hardest time to travel. Yeah. And so people are all spring loaded yeah. on their way yeah. in here. Yeah. I was also thinking like it's true. It's people who aren't necessarily here to recreate. They're here to use their mansion and to be with family. But most and of the time, those people, people do a great come job. here to like be in this beautiful place to recreate. Right. And, and it's like, um, sorry, not to interject, but it's like. Um, and it's not about the wealth. It's about 
a certain type of wealthy person, but there's another type of wealthy person that we all know intimately that are wonderful human beings sure. that support like the art museum, which is my favorite free office in town, and that like make a difference all over the world. And so the question is like moving forward, um, can't we be a community that wants to do good by doing well, yeah. right? As opposed to like doing bad by doing well like can't we find but a what way kind to of do action that? can we really do is I some people I think see frustration in, in bringing up a question when conversations are good but ultimately action has to happen yeah um, yeah I mean the answer is uh, I don't I don't right. know but I know that there are communities in the world that through intention or accident have found the right balance and there are others that have not and I know it's a question that Aspen has worked on forever. Like, it's the reason that we, if it was just about the dollars, we'd make every, you know, hotel 20 stories high. We don't, we don't do that. Um, so there are things that can be done, um, but which ones are going to be successful or not? I don't know. Um, but man, like, are our souls worth fighting for? For sure. <laughs> like, well, it probably feels a little bit, you know, you're kind of engulfed in this shitstorm, I can say, a little bit, and you've taken responsibility for maybe say, um, bringing it on yourself storm. a little, but that's fine, and I think in in owning the responsibility of it and, and acknowledging that it was kind of reflexive is totally fine. You're a human being, and you're allowed to be a human, and we thank you, you know, for your service as a community member and also as an Aspen Town Council member it which is not an easy role I mean you guys have really grueling grueling meetings where often you've just sat through four or five hours and you need to get through a really important topic in a sixth hour um, and so if people don't accept kind of the burden that you guys take on as public service members that should definitely be acknowledged and um, you. you know so what one snafu, <laughs> all good, all good. We, we, we saw uh, Tori on our first yeah. lap. Like, oh, Tori, Tori, come uh, join us at 12.30. And he said, well, I'm actually with some guests, but he looked at the kind of person I look like when I'm skiing. He said, hey, be careful what you say to skip me. He said, he goes, be careful what you post. <laughs> come on. What, uh, what else is on top of your mind these days? Really? Well, I mean... I I think as it, as it relates to that, like it's worth discussion around what we post and why, because the, the response to this will necessarily be post less, say less, be safer. And, and that's not always the right way. I don't way. think that's the right way at all. Like what is the right way is for me to acknowledge when I've made a mistake, mm -hmm. to do my best to learn from it and to do a better job going forward. But we live in this like toxic political environment where we don't trust anything because no one will say anything. No one's honest. No one actually gets stuff done. And they're not people. And we like deify them or, or demonize them. And like, where does that leave us? And so the reason that I intentionally overshare is because I'm trying to humanize the role to make it clear. Like, what, what do we actually do day to day? What goes into a policy decision? Um, how does this affect us emotionally? Um, I grew up a pretty private person, like with a very perfectionist family. Like it's hard for me to share any emotions with them. For me to make this public was like a huge leap. But I think that if the culture is going to shift, 
if our expectations around elected leaders are going to shift and and then we'll actually have a better more generative collaborative politics we have to be able to if we're elected to be vulnerable and so um i i fully intend to continue that it's about doing it in a better way and i, I hope people can can see that um because i know some people will and some people won't you know yeah. and that's just the yeah. way it is for sure we're kind of approaching the top if you're keen you know what uh Say you're just out here on a solo day, first run, nice bluebird skies, early January. Where where's your first lap? Ooh, did snow fall last night? Not really. Not really. Um, I would probably it's nice snow, but a little ice skatey. A little Scary. ice skating. Nice chalk out there. Chalky. Oh, chalky. Uh, I'd probably come in and uh, either do like some like little sendies and blondies or just catch this little knuckle off to the left and then probably throw it switch down to three just to get like the blood flowing a little bit uh, and then come up and take something off one of the sides. I think we're going to follow you T to B just so maybe we can get get another conversation in on, on the Gandhi. I don't think you'll be following anyone, Andrew. I'll be following you. <laughs> I can go slow too. I'm not a freak. But we're, we're here with Skippy. This is Gondola Cast episode two. Stay tuned for episode two point one. Thanks, Skippy and Jack. Cheers, man. This is cool. We're back on uh, Gondola Cast two point one, two point two. However you want to look at it. No, Torin, we already. So we had episode 1.2. Season 1. That brief 5-minute T to B commercial break brought to you by Splaffy. <laughs> and oh. everybody sand coffee. Everybody, we're breathing hard. Came off the top down to Christie's. Stopped by the shrine of local legend, local boy Sam Coffee. Passed last year unexpectedly and um, was, was very missed by the community but left a lasting impact. So it was nice to give respects and Thanks to the people who ruined a little bit of nature to make room for Sam Coffee. <laughs> we appreciate the work. But as we're there, talking talking a little bit about life and death as you would when you pass a shrine. And um, you know, a little disclaimer here, if you are listening to this podcast we got a glove on the floor there. And are adverse to thank you. And if you're adverse to the topic of psychedelics and self help then Episode two, this is not going to be your podcast, but we did get into it that you had recently gone to an ayahuasca retreat yeah. in Costa Rica, ayahuasca, kind of the top dog of the psychedelic realm, a naturally occurring substance. Um, let's just talk about the mystery behind the plant first. Yeah. I mean, two different plants that grow in the jungle that have to be combined because if not, your body inhibits the process of it. That's that's correct, and um, they are grown in um, very different places. So it's a it's a known unknown as to how this practice started, but it's thousands of years old as both a rite of passage and a, um, a therapy. Uh, and uh, if you're out there uh, wondering. Um, you know, what, what's this? A good starting point for you is Michael Pollan's new book, famous uh, food oh, I writer. Love that. Yeah, uh, how to change the, your mind. The, yes, how to change your mind. And the he did speak of, here last year at the Aspen Institute. If you're feeling your conservative 
notions bubbling up. Yeah, and and and, and um, I think one of the things that's really beautiful about the reemergence of this movement is. Um, that it has been completely nonpartisan. The military, is, to date, is the biggest beneficiary of psychedelic research in terms of mitigation or curing of PTSD, addiction, all kinds of, um, of mental um, issues. And, and I will say, for anyone listening, um, I, I would not, not recommend um, this as a recreational use. It is not a recreational experience. Um, the environment, the clinicians, the guides, uh, Play such a huge role in the in the healing process. So, so as Joe Rogan does, you know, we could, we could have a six-hour podcast on the topic. And it's legal in Costa Rica, so. <laughs> <laughs> but we're on a 14-minute gondola ride, and so I want to deep dive into something that's especially interesting to me and probably a lot of people is uh, you did four ceremonies while on this retreat, among other um, personal kind of betterment and understanding practices. I'm sure such as healthy eating and some therapy and stretching and all and all sorts of stuff I'm guessing yes but one thing is that you mentioned you felt like you experienced your death I did um, so take us there you're in the jungles of Costa Rica you're <laughs> on which number ceremony this is the second ceremony second ceremony and my intention or goal for being there is to was to uh, understand the root of my anxiety which is something that I carry with me uh, very acutely and uh, a lot of the time, uh, and it does not serve me. Uh, I feel that. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, like so uh, the the real fast forward is um, this uh, medicine unlocks parts of yourself that are there. It gives you access, is, is how I would describe it. Um, you can imagine that the human eye sees the visible spectrum, and yet we know light to exist on a far wider spectrum. It's as if someone put glasses on you that allow you to see and feel that whole spectrum. Uh, and it it's known for showing you what you need and not what you want. Uh, so I had the experience of um, of being able to, from the first and third person, uh, literally uh, see my own death. Uh, how old, I, and how old were you? Uh, I, so I was, I was myself in in this death moment, like I, as the observer. Yeah. Um, but but leading up to that, um, part of the ayahuasca experience is, is purging. Um, so uh, that can be experienced uh, through, through sweating or vomiting or, or any other um, experience. And so. Uh, as I was uh, purging and as the experience was becoming more and more intense, uh, I had the recognition that um, I was actually purging at different ages, right? Um, as your body becomes less able to move, as um, the effect takes more, each time it was like seeing it through a new set of eyes. And um, I, I recognized in that moment that um, each one of those experiences was not like worse or better, that it sort of just was what it was, and it was like it was inherently beautiful for being the only time it will ever be Did experienced. You purged to death, or no, no, uh, it, it was just this is the lead up, and so um, e each time I was doing that, I was like experiencing it as an older version of myself and finding recognition and beauty in each of those moments where previously I'd been very fearful of things like aging because it led to death. Death has been my my most guttural, visceral fear. Um, ever and so I was able to sort of see and feel 
the beauty of the moment, which is like such a release for me. And as I, I left um, where I was purging for the final time, and I walked in, I looked at my area where you where you stay, and it's surrounded by pillows, and it was just very clear to me, like this was, this was my headstone. Hmm. This was this was my gravesite, and uh, I both could see that they were pillows, and I could physically see uh, this this headstone, and um, I had no fear, I had no anxiety about it. Uh, it just was again what it was, and I was able to go over there and literally lay the covers over myself to see from the first and third person um, myself under the ground. My uh, loved ones, my, my closest friends, uh, were there, um, overseeing it in, in solidarity. Um, and that's what helps. That's what has helped people clinically the most, right? Is people that are dealing with terminal cancer or other terminal diseases, is that fear of death and these psychedelic experiences are helping to, to tame that a little bit and let you appreciate the moment more. Yeah, and I think what was a, a really lasting for me was. As I, as I did that and laid myself in, um, this overwhelming sense of gratitude came over me because I recognized that like in giving my body back to the earth, um, I, my physical form, my experience would then nurture all the other life that is to follow. And so just as this plant had um, been imbibed by and, and nurtured me and helped me grow, now I was going to help the world like physically. Yeah. And like, Whoa! Really, grow with unbelievable. I mean, like so that is such a reframe for me. And um, so, yeah, it was um, it was solemn. It was quiet. I actually, uh, this is going to sound strange. You've never there was no color all night. I could only see in grayscale. Oh. Um, I'm a person that tends to see in a lot of color, both physically. And you don't say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, look it, at it, your blue eyes. It's like uh, uh, these eyes are made for radio. <laughs> uh, but, but it, it, um, you're always more attractive on radio. It was so. It was just. It was. Um, it was beautiful, and um, yeah. I mean, I just. Uh, I'm so grateful for that experience, and and so that the anxiety that came from that bit of impermanence is, is been lifted. Wow. Well, it's, it sounds like a really cool opportunity. It was fun to, to talk more about it in the woods. We should have probably had the microphone on then. I do want to point out that the plaque here in the gondola. Um, this one particular favorites. one is the avalanche survivor. Jack, you want to tell this story? On March 10th, 1884. Are we, are we really doing this? A little Just, trailer? Uh, yeah, summarize. Well, there's this dog that, uh, you know, five miners were killed by an avalanche that slid. This was like March up 10th, in... March 10th, 1884. Yeah. This was in uh, Conundrum Valley, if I remember correctly. And uh, 33 days later they found a dog who had been with the miners. And uh, he survived, and his name was Bruiser. One of the deceased men's dog. Bruiser, nearly dead, was nursed back to health in Aspen and made a full recovery. It says, in tribute to his stamina, Bruiser was given a solid silver collar engraved with the detail of his miraculous yeah. story. He kind of looks like a really thick Rhodesian Ridgeback. Do you think, do you think, he, photo. Do you think he had a out-of-body experience and in a 
cabin for 30 years. You know, um, I can't speak to his experience, but what is interesting is that the active compound in um, the ayahuasca plant is DMT. Um, DMT is a naturally occurring substance in the brain and it's released at birth, at death, and in moments of near death. And so when you hear people talking about near death experiences and seeing light and feeling connected to the universe, that's what DMT is. And Do so, dogs have the absolutely, compound? All living, all, well, I, don't, I won't say all, I don't know if that's to be true, but it, yes, so it's I likely guess. actually. It's the most naturally occurring psychedelic substance that exists on the planet. So it's, it's possible. Yeah. Interesting. Found in, in toads and other. Mammals we know for sure. Um, well, very cool. Yeah, I think another disclaimer, as Skippy said, it's only for people who are really prepared and looking for uh, kind of the process to gain insight or heal. And it's not meant for recreation. It's not meant for people who are dealing potentially with severe mental illness. Yeah, I mean, you have to speak to a, a doctor and a, a clinician and a healer. Um, I can't drive home enough to is um, this is not and should not be recreational uh, and two um, I saw the most incredible healing from people that had paralytic lifelong wounds it, it, for me it felt like five years of therapy in a week mm. and it is such a powerful healing agent but like only in in the right hands um, yeah yeah makes sense we're getting to the top again I feel like if you guys got one more bucket lap in you and get in and talk about some stuff like housing. I would <laughs> love that. Um, I have a meeting at 2 o'clock, so I won't have time for that, but I could possibly come back at, like, 2.45 for a final one. All right, we'll see. we are we spinning? Jack and I are going to be skiing. We're either going to end it on uh, 2.1, or we'll, we'll keep it kicking if Skippy's able to make it back. We'll bring it back to Earth a little bit and uh, <laughs> talk about some issues that face communities like the Roaring Fork Valley which are getting people housed and yeah. you know making this whole system work and making it work well. And just one request listeners is um, hey if you if you heard that last segment and you experienced judgment that that's totally normal this is a new field that's emerging it's really frankly very scary for me to share this but I think it's important because it can provide healing for others and I think it changes the way that we as elected officials communicate with the public more honestly and openly so um, before you, you post something on Facebook or, or make a decision, um, to get online and do a little bit of research first. And if that's still your opinion? Yeah. Well, maybe keep that opinion. For a lot of people, this field of study is, is helping, and yeah. it needs to be explored and opened up and brought into mainstream conversation a little more. Yeah. Uh, and not shunned, but understood. Yeah. So that being said, we are going to enjoy the moment very much so and take some more turns here on a beautiful day on Ajax January 6th 2020 Skippy's here with 2020 vision we're getting it done skiing in a group way bigger than I'm ever down to ski in. Maybe 10 strong. Male, female, snowboarder, skiers, all really fast, really good. And the energy built up and it was just a fast run. So fun. Buckhorn, past bonnies, 
Spar, low now, full speed, all Full crew. speed, Niagara. I, uh, uh, first time. <laughs> well, one thing, so 10 young people all having a good time, enjoying the mountains, hopefully enjoying a day off after a few stressful weeks. Woof. And um, one of your main priorities was getting these kind of people housed. Yeah, man. And uh, so, for example, what else you got going on today other than skiing? All kinds of people. Um, yeah, so um, uh, this morning, uh, after my little morning routine, uh, uh, I had a call um, with uh, a group. So we're working on being the first city in the country with 100% voter participation. And in my view, it's like the single thing we could do that would be best for Aspen, that would be best for the country and the you world. You can actually do that, right? And like, we can model it here. Yeah. So we were on with uh, with this philanthropy that, that funds um, uh, pilot programs for app-based voting, so voting from your phone. Um, and uh, we're talking about being the first city uh, in the world to do our full municipal election um, where you have the option to vote from your phone, which would be unbelievably wonderful. Um, totally secure. Yeah, it's is a, it? it is. For sure. You can just do like all sorts of encrypted bullshit it's, and actually make it secure. Yeah, it's, it's, on, willing. it's on the blockchain. You have redundancy in terms of paper. Yeah. You've got auditing. So it's exactly as uh, safe as doing it in person, except you have the most advanced encryption technology in the world backing it. Okay. I'm, I'm interested. It's going to be cool. So yeah, I was doing that this morning, uh, hanging out with you guys, and then I'm going to meet with a local business owner about housing, right? Both what are we doing as a city, and how might we include businesses in those solutions. Uh, and then, uh, well, it goes on so from there. everyone has their two cents on the housing matter. I, I skinned uh, a letter to the editor the other day, but I didn't have time to polish through the thing, and it was relating to some sort of crazy NFL seat, seating reservation, I don't know. I'm just pointing out that everyone's got mm -hmm. an idea, sure. right? Um, and because I'm holding the microphone, I guess I'm, my, personal <laughs> my personal idea would be we're thinking, we're thinking very conventionally about space and you know, building more mm -hmm. and retrofitting. Mm -hmm. When I look around, when we all look around, there's a lot of buildings that sit vacant, yep. that sit empty, and I'm not saying that, you know, every family should just let any ski bum rent out their nice, you know, ski home that maybe they've worked their whole life to buy. You know, just, we don't need to yep. guilt someone into that. It's, in the end, it's their choice. But what I think we can do is maybe spend some funds, spend some time getting together in these kind of unique social situations mm -hmm. and just seeing what people need. Mm -hmm. I mean... Maybe there's an older couple who really needs um, a little bit of help with nursing. Not all the way, but they kind of need the peace of mind knowing that someone's there at night. Yeah. And maybe there's a wonderful nurse at Aspen Valley Hospital, you know. Um, so I think if, if somehow we can think a little more... Like more peer-to-peer -peer community housing. Peer-to-peer, -peer, yeah. get people talking together and have these kind of events where... I don't know if, he, if it would be online or events or a mixture of the two, but... You know, you can kind of put out there what you have, what you can offer, whether you are a local trying to find housing or someone who has housing, mm -hmm. right? A lot of property managers and such are housed. That's a nice fit, but they work directly on the property. I just think there's got to be more synergies out there, um, you know, depending on what each specific need is. Maybe mm -hmm. someone says, I can build 
I can build four more structures on my large property. Mm -hmm. If you can promise me that, you know, you can show me that you're good to put a $400,000 modular like, yeah. home here, mm -hmm. I will grant you that land. Mm -hmm. There might be people like that. Yeah. I so. think that that kind is really important. And so that kind of infill, yeah. you know, but then that just leads to more construction, which people are also... No, not necessarily. Cause I'm talking about units that might already which I, yeah, be, exist in stock. There's mm -hmm. so many rooms in the West End, it breaks my heart. Do you, do you mm. feel there's anything going on to kind of create that synergy yes um, and fill that gap um, yeah and thank you guys both for raising that those are all really insightful points right um, and so the the answer is yes um, there's already a process that is begun to start to address that it's more limited in scope than what um, uh, uh, many including you have suggested but it's a first step uh, and that is APSHA, the Housing Authority, is we're doing our first major complete, not complete, major rewrite of our housing guidelines in about 30 years. Um, that includes like how do you qualify, where is income earned, can the person who is um, offering elder care qualify to live in a unit, all that stuff is included. Um, and uh, myself, um, Kelly McNicholas, County Commissioner, um, and David Lofred, APSHA uh, Community Board Member, we are uh, almost at the final agreed upon um, outline for what that engagement will look like. It's not yet ratified by the board, but we hope it will be in the next couple weeks. And that will look like a series of broad community events. We will actively invite people to them to have targeted discussions around each of those and allow people the opportunity to share ideas that are outside of the box mm -hmm. so that they can make it into that next broader round. So those will be happening. It will be publicly announced. You'll know about it, um, but it, it's still sort of in process. So that's sort of one. Then you touched on something um, that is so true, right? Um, we have a housing problem in this community. And a lot we of houses. We do not have a house problem in this community, <laughs> right? There is a... Um, a lot of beautiful houses. There is a decoupling <laughs> of the acute need for community member space and the space that currently exists without any new development. And that is a very interesting point of conversation. Um, and what we have done at the city council level is say, hey, we already have a lot of projects that are, are forthcoming from our perspective, what we can build and do. APSHA is working on these guidelines. But what can we do to get housing through uh, mechanisms that we don't have to physically do? Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, community development, um, which is... Uh, part of the city, now run by Philip Sapino, who is an awesome new director. We're really lucky to have him. Um, also a great skier. Um, we Let's gave him, him a year. Yeah, yeah, you should. You absolutely should. Um, and he's been given a, uh, a year-long task to look at everything under the sun that we can do to supercharge that. So that includes things like zoning. It includes things like funding. It includes things like maximizing existing use. It includes things like um, the credits program, which is like, how do we add value so free market developers um, will build more housing of their own volition. Um, so that's, that's going to be coming back to us in about 11 months. Nice. Well, I, I think... Nice. Cool. My wife is going to stab me for offering this, but I think we'd like to host an event sometime in the summer. We, My parents were kind enough to let us build a 1,000 square feet onto the back of their property cool. connected to their house. So we can kind of 
be a family. We can help take care of them as they make their way through their 60s and 70s. We have an organic garden, and the place is going to be net zero. Um, So it would be a really nice place and an outdoor summer evening to maybe host a night, have some people yeah. come together, just It's added so tastefully on the property, it's just that it's sounds the beautiful. way to go. It sounds like what community decision making should look like. And I saw your mom uh, in Snowmass, not yesterday, the day before, and I gave her a big hug. Nice, yeah. thank you. <laughs> She's a bubbly lady. She oh, is. she skied more, we'd, we'd probably get her in here. Um, how has jumping into a public office differed from your expectations? Um, I have... I'd had experience running campaigns and working on campaigns nationally, um, statewide, and uh, at regional level. Um, so there's not much mechanically about the, the job that surprised me. The thing that has really surprised me, honestly, is um, there is so much more agreement on policy, directions, values, vision than I could have imagined. I thought it was going to be more the art of persuasion. Um, and yet, we do not get so many of those things done because we are in our own way. Um, we are resource and people rich. We are process and systems poor. Um, so many of the, the structures, the rules that are self-imposed put handcuffs on us to do the things that we want, which drives me crazy. And there is a, and I'm sorry to say it, but it's just my observation, there is a massive culture of fear. And that fear inhibits people from doing things that they want. And I, I point no finger. That's not blame. Um, we all respond to our environment. That's the nature of the human organism. Um, and so um, we've both had elected officials who have been not brave enough to stand up for the things they believed in because they're concerned that, uh, I don't know what they're concerned about, seeing your neighbor at the grocery store and catching flack. I mean, it doesn't feel good, right? Of course. Um, we've also been trained by the public, by ourselves, by the voters. Um, when the city, in, in the desire to get cars off the road and help the environment, decided to put some lock boxes for bikes at the uh, <laughs> at the thing, like, yeah, it's funny. It got used it, like six times. It got used like six times, Jack. Um, but... That was that was oh, staff stepping out and experimenting yeah. to get to something that we really care about. That's and true. if you do not allow people to experiment, if you we have the budget to experiment, I want to. I have so many radical experiments. But there shouldn't be can, flat cost right. for a failed experiment. That's absolutely yeah. right. Because true. if you demand perfection, you will get no innovation. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, fail fast and iterate is how your technology works. That has to get adapted into government. And until we as voters can say, hey thank you for trying, we are going to continue to get safe, non-generative, basic decision-making. And so we all need to work to change this culture, right? Like, like as an elected official, I need to model um, risky, not risky, um, vulnerable behavior, mm-hmm. right? I need to come on this podcast and share my ayahuasca experience. <laughs> yeah, um, why not? Uh, uh, and, and as the voter, you have to not go... Um, you know, try and recall me tomorrow for that. Uh, so we need to celebrate experimentation. We need to celebrate innovation. And we need to see each other as people that are, if there was an answer, we would have already done it, right? Yeah. So, like, let us try to find the new answer. Yeah. Right? And don't make it be the end of the world if it doesn't work right yeah. away. No, doesn't so, mean- so, so shifting that culture is something I did not expect to find, and it has become an absolute mission in my life. Um, and it starts in City Hall, and it starts in Aspen, but um, if we want to like 
fix our country and the world, and we want to like let our children inherit the world that we want. Um, this is a, a, a international mission for me, um, but it starts here. It's true. Let's give you the big words. Jack obviously is also the captain of Tuesday Cruise Day. A, yes. a famous also, uh, and infamous. Like no, I'm a dictator. You're actually. a dictator. <laughs> hey man, you should run. You but uh, Skippy, how many how many Tuesday cruise days have you been to in the past decade? In the past decade, I'd say probably. I'm, I, I get to like two or three a year, so somewhere Good. in the twenty to thirty range. Nice. Yeah. And do you, do you feel that that group? Obviously, a lot of people meet, form friendships, relationships. Do you think there's some potential there to kind of maybe there's a Tuesday cruise day for the millionaires and some workers to get together, right? Dude, I, I mean, I think, candidly, that already happens to some extent, right? Like, there's a big cross-section there. Yeah, um, I mean, a little bit. But adventurous ones. I'd love to see more, man. Yeah, everyone's welcome, you know. Tuesday Cruise Day all summer long on the bike, meeting at Aspen Brew at usually what time? 6.30 sharp. It is over six months away, but... Memorial Day to Labor Day. By the every time summer. the podcast comes out, it might be right here. <laughs> We've enjoyed a, uh, a few bucket laps so far with Aspen's own councilman, Skippy Mezzaro, as well as Jack Boyd. I'm Andrew Wicks, logging out of our third ride. We're going to enjoy the slopes. If you tuned in the podcast, thank you, and thank you for doing so with open ears and hearts. And thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Jack. This is really cool, and we need more of this, and um, I offer... A lot of gratitude in this new year for um, you guys stepping up to do it. Thanks for serving, and I know I'm fully behind you, so keep up the good work. Uh, get some stuff done. And make some turns.